Okay. <laughs> Got pretty small goals, don't hey, you? Hey, you know what? He, he 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 fulfilled a dream, though, so that's good. But anyways, welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. And we talk about all things antique and collectibles. And we are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC, with two locations. One in Bethany, Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, at Rankin Gallery. Another one in Fredericksburg, Virginia, at Oldies But Goodies. For those of you not local and not all about driving, we also have an online store on Etsy. Hip and Humble Antiques on Etsy. Please check us out. We are also supported by the WGS. NDB Going Solo Network. It is a national online radio network, and we are grateful to be a part of it. Please check out all of their other content creators and artists, and thank you. Yes, thank you. All righty. About a week or so ago, we talked about uh, fire and kind of the implications that it had in human history. Today, we're going to be talking about another type of light whose brief existence in the world of commercial antiques ended in both tragedy and progress. Tragedy often begets progress in history, though it is not something to actively seek out. Of course, suffering is not something that should be taken taken on willingly, but oftentimes it is unavoidable. When that is the case, the question is not, why am I suffering, but rather, what am I suffering for? In the book of James, he writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, to suffer trials of many kinds. In this vein, it is important when suffering suffering, to consider the light at the end of the tunnel. The light we are talking about today is not at the end of a tunnel. In its heyday, it was used to paint the dials and watches that were meant to illuminate in the dark. We, of course, are talking about radium. Radium. Yes. This particular substance was used primarily in the 20th century, and its commercial success has a very colorful history. Collectors and historians alike have remained fascinated by this substance and its commercial uses. People have always liked shiny things. Me, 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 me. (laughs) I like shiny things. Yeah. And once this compound was discovered, it seemed that almost overnight its use became paramount regardless of the danger it posed to health. It was added to numerous everyday products, including watches and paints and the like. Yeah, so radium actually actually had a lot of different uses, although it was mostly mixed with paint so that it could be painted onto different surfaces to be used as a, a luminescent of, of, of kinds. The government used it a lot um, in <clears throat> to basically illuminate signs throughout different yeah. government buildings and so on and so forth. Obviously, it's not used that way anymore. The, a lot of the sign government buildings and signs are and road signs and so on are you, they use reflective material now. Right. Instead right. of radium because it is, uh, it was, it is quote, the most radioactive substance <laughs> known to man, uh, naturally occurring anyways. Naturally occurring, yeah. Yes. So radium was used to paint watches. A lot of, a lot of people could have probably become Hulk. Uh, absolutely. Although that's gamma radiation. You know what? You just have to be <laughs> nitpicky about everything, don't you? Well, I just, you know, I think it's important to make the specifications. To stay true to the Marvel characters. It is important to stay true to the Marvel characters. Okie dokie. Mm-hmm. Radium was actually used to paint watches so that users could see the time at night. And it was also used in World War II to paint the dials and gauges in airplanes, which helped the pilots avoid being seen by enemy soldiers. Because, of course, there are, even, even with red lights in a cockpit, um, you can't see red lights for... 
if you're outside of, I think it's two miles, two, two nautical miles or two aerial miles in this case. If you're outside of two nautical miles, you can't see red lights. That's the reason that Navy ships and so on, whenever they go dark, that everything, everything goes to a red light because it is a lot harder to see a red light and it still illuminates everything pretty well. Yeah. But, I but see it. yeah, but, but back then, whenever they didn't have that technology, which doesn't make sense to me, or no, they did have that. They had to have red lights back then because all you have to do is put red glass over a bulb. Well, the trains had it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, that's probably primarily, I guess the main, main way people traveled, at least by, you know, machinery would be by trains. trains. So yeah. they would have the red lights. Well, know, so flashing. radium, radium was actually discovered in 18, what was it? 98. Yeah. Radium was actually discovered in 1898. So it was pretty close to the 20th century. So Ford hadn't come out with the model T yet. Cause that was 1907, I believe. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That was the year my Mima was born. Yeah. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is, that, that is crazy to think. I, it's just and one generation. I was, I was trying to think too. My granddaddy on my dad's side, he was born, it was either 18, 98, 99, or 1901. I never can remember. <laughs> so, and my grandma Scott was in 1903. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's funny because when you talk about numbers like that, I'm like, well, hey, that's when my granddaddy was born. <laughs> yeah. Like, but of course, you know, he's been gone for many, many years. But yeah, since before I was born. Oh, yeah. He died when I was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's been. Been a little while. Been a little while. It's been about twenty minutes, but you know. Well, you know. Yep. Time flies when you're having fun, right? But but Mima, well, she was born in 1907 um, in Indian Territory. That's right. Yeah, and I and I, and I got to, I got to meet Mima. I knew Mima. Oh yeah. For a long time. Of course, I I think I was probably I was I was under ten. I think. No. Well. When she when she passed. You were right. Right uh, around that right age. Right around that age. Tabin was still little, so. Tabin was a baby baby. I think he was maybe two. Two or yeah. three. I'd have to, I'd have to remember harder. Yeah. But yeah, it's. But it, no, that is interesting. It's yeah. crazy to think of the 2003, amount. 2003, 2000, between 2003, 2005. Oh, okay, yeah. So he would have been that between been my, three and that's five. That's my guess. Yeah. But uh, no, it's crazy to think of the, the amount, the advancement in technology from oh, yeah. 1898 to now. Oh yeah, you know. I always think about you know what did you know, what did my grandmother see, you know, from 1907 to you know she died in the 2000s, and it's like yeah, who would have thought? You know, yeah, I, who in 1907, 1907 would have thought you know by the time that she was uh, you know gone her way to the grave that she would have had a smartphone in her hand? Well, she did not. She did not, but she could have. I don't know. Yeah, in 2003, 2000. No, I guess I guess there was it was still the flip phones then. Yeah. Yeah, so there She wouldn't have had that. No. She didn't she didn't hardly even do the house phone period. So. I remember those flip phones were crazy and they all had the different little designs. They all wanted to get smaller and smaller and now <laughs> now everyone has these big screens yeah. they want in their hands. And uh I remember it well, was really crazy. it was yeah. really cool whenever the phones got music on them. Oh yeah. Yeah, and yeah. for those of you that are uh younger and listening to this, yeah. Uh phones did not originally have the internet or music on them. <laughs> You know, you're probably about their age there, punkin. Uh, nah. <laughs> yeah, my generation, I think, will be the last generation that actually knows how to survive without the internet or a phone in your hand. 
Well, I mean, if the world blows up, then this generation will have to figure it out one way or another. <laughs> Y'all are screwed. Yeah, well. <laughs> but now, when you think about it, Model T was was born or built first mm-hmm. one in 1907. Yeah. You know, back then they were walking or riding horses. Yep, carriages, trains. Yep. They were yeah, the carriages, well, my, carriages my pap- or trains. My papa, that's how he traveled was on the train. They had a had, and the train station is still there in um downtown Oklahoma City. Yeah. But that's how he would get around was he rode the train. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the most efficient way to travel back then, especially cuz you know, buying a horse is like buying a car back then. Well, but I mean, think about it. I mean, they were, you're used to buying a horse or, you know, horse and just living like, you know, Indians lived back then. Right. But, uh, you know, growing up in that's your norm. Right. I mean, how cool would that have been to see the first car? Oh my goodness. Could you imagine how fast 35 miles an hour must have seemed like? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, and I mean, not just the first car. What about the first airplane? Oh my goodness! I know. I mean, I, mean, the, well, know. I think the Wright brother was was nineteen eighteen. Yeah. I, I don't quote me on that, folks. I, I'm I remember very vaguely from Kitty Hawk. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been quite I'll a say, while because my grandpa was born in nineteen ten, so he would have been eight. Wow. So you know, when you think about think about that, I mean, that had to have been wild. To, you know, the only thing you ever saw in the sky literally was a bird. And then you, you know, had this roaring machinery above your head. So that had to be yeah. frightening. Uh, I stand corrected, by the way. The plane was actually invented in 1903. Oh, well. Yeah. So just before they were born. So that would be when my grandma Scott was born, the year grandma Scott was born. And I guarantee she hadn't seen a plane. They had a hard time talking her into putting electricity in the house. Oh. She didn't want electric in the house because she didn't think that they'd be able to pay that nickel a month. <laughs> Could you imagine paying a nickel a month for electricity? Well, you know what? Back then, a nickel was a lot of money. When you had, you know, working on 12 kids... You didn't all the time have an extra nickel. <laughs> well, that's true too. I mean, you could, you could do, get a whole, you know, you could get grocery for a family of 12 with $2. Well, they t- not going to go to the grocery store. She wouldn't even go to the grocery store when I, you know, I, I don't know as I, I don't know as I ever saw my grandma at a grocery or even heard about her going to a grocery store. Yeah. And I will say when your dad and I started dating, um, we went down to McAllister, down to Alderson, yeah. and uh, I, you know, meet Grandma Scott and stuff. And she went to, or she had me take her to Brahms. Really? Ice cream, hamburger and ice cream place. And I almost passed out. I was like, <laughs> oh my Lord. I've never, that's the only time I've ever seen her at a restaurant. Wow. Ever. Well, I believe you. I mean, you know, they, they raise, they raise their own food. They grew oh, yeah, their own food. They grew food. their own food. They didn't have television. Mm-hmm. Did not have a television. Um, they had a party line phone and mm-hmm. they had the radio. Wow. That was it. A different times. That's why they had 12 kids. And I bet you they didn't have radium watches because those were pretty pricey <laughs> back then. But, no, uh, he was a coal miner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But radium was also used in ceramics to yes. make color glazes. So they make orange, yellow, and green colors. The, and it was also used in canary glass, which is a type of glass that was, that when it's exposed to UV light, it glows that bright green color. And we have some in the shop. We have one little dish left in the shop. Yeah. And my other son bought a beautiful uranium glass. I'd never seen one this shape, but it was green and it was awesome. Oh, if yeah. you guys get a chance to purchase 
a piece of uranium glass. Definitely do, do it. it. However, um, so or, uh, another uh, common type or a common piece that was made with the uh, uranium or the radium so was the orange red Fiesta and the Vaseline glass. So those are two of the most popular product lines that use uh, the radium in their production. And those are very highly collectible. So they are highly collectible, but the EPA has issued a warning to all collectors to avoid actual use of these pieces <laughs> as tiny chips of glass could be ingested and ingestion of these materials can cause cancer or death. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, so if you definitely get one because they're really cool to collect and it's a really it's an incredible piece of history and as you, as we'll talk about later, it is kind of a symbol of progress in in um employee law. Yeah. Yeah, well, because well, because, say, because of the tragedy tragedy that occurred because of it. Well, I, I will say if you if you collect uranium glass particularly, mm-hmm. that's generally more decorative. I guess you could use a lot of it for like a candy bowl or something like that. that yeah, but you know, don't. No, but I'm just saying a lot of it that I've seen is really more decorative. Like, you know, I mean, I have, yeah. I think the one I have down at the shop now is a small, um, it's a small hobnob yellow, um, bowl, which probably if I was a betting woman, which I'm not, mm-hmm. I would say it probably was an ashtray once, once a month. Cause it's kind of got this ruffled edge on the side. That so, sounds like an ashtray. Yeah, it, it's kind of what it looks like, but I'm not sure. Don't know. Don't care. I think it's pretty. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's funny too. I don't know. I don't know why. I found a, there's a lot of ashtrays I really like. They've, they, there have been a lot of really cool ashtrays. They're collectible. They are collectible. A yeah. lot of people, I, I, so one of my good friends down in North Carolina, his father is an antiques collector and I'm going to his house. It's literally, it's kind of like Uncle Lonnie's house. Yeah. But with antique signs and things. <laughs> His entire wall from floor to ceiling is just covered with signs and, you know, primitives and so on and stuff. It's, going into his house was like a museum. It was awesome. Yeah. And he had a collection of pretty much everything, including, um, ashtrays, which was really, really cool. So, you know, something we had talked about before, humans, humans have always been fascinated by, by things that are shiny, especially things that glow. So it's kind of no wonder that radium became so popular and and we talked about this previously this this idea um you know but it, it's worth revisiting that the fact that humans have always liked shiny things you know why even was there or when there was when there was no physical or monetary incentive do people enjoy things that light up or are highly reflective of light well i mean i do think in as far as radium i do think that um using it in the paint you know, for signs and hazard signs and that kind of thing, yeah. you know, that does have a very practical use that I think all of humanity benefits from if you don't. Well, abso- know, absolutely. There's you know, a I hazard mean, ahead. If you have, if you have false light in the dark, it, it makes you, it, it gives you the ability to be more productive. Of course. Sure. Of course. But even, even if that weren't the case, even if there wasn't an actual inherent value to being more productive, cause I mean, before, we had so much false light available and the availability to, to make progress in the dark, so to say, uh, there wasn't the need for it. You know, it was more of a comfort thing and it was more of just a fascination. Like, sure. You know, and it's, it's sure. interesting to think about why we've always been drawn to shiny things, things that are very reflective or, or light. Well, because God is light and that's where we're headed. <laughs> hey, hey, At least most go. of us. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's just interesting that, you know, even biologically and in, in, 
even in cultures, you know, we, like I said, we talked about this before, but even in cultures where they didn't have a money system, you know, they didn't have the gold wasn't worth more than, you know, anything else to them. They still collected and hoarded gold because it was or shiny you know, beads, it was, and yeah, or shiny beads and- shells and things like that because it, because they liked it. Well, they liked it and, but it also had uses for it. And I think a lot of the cultures, um, would collect the shiny beads or shells or things like that because there is value in art. Yes. And I, I I think, I think entertainment, especially in the ancient world is, is undervalued. Yeah. And, and really the art was, uh, yeah, there really wasn't what I guess what you would think of as entertainment. They didn't have like, you know, floor shows. Well, so but, it's funny you say that because I, I think I mean, I'm talking about the Indian culture, not necessarily. Well, you know, no, and I am too. Middle I, France with the. No, and I, but I am puppets. too. I, I'm, I'm, but I think it's interesting you say that because I think that we underestimate the amount of entertainment because it's, it's very easy to get carried away with how hard their lives were. Right, you right. Know what I'm but saying? I think that the shells and that kind of things. Whenever you go in and they do the beadwork, yeah, for a traditional um, dance, or you know, so there's a lot of pride that's taken in that, and I I think that that's where a lot of that value, though, for a shiny thing, kind of comes into play. Yeah, is you know, there's pride in creating those costumes and whatnot. that are attention grabbing. They're attention grabbing, um, for whatever reason. I mean, you know, I would say a lot of cultures, you know, of course, it's to pay homage to whatever god that they serve but right but it's or even it's to still even to the even to represent their tribe and so on and so forth you know there's a, a book that i definitely recommend to anyone um listening called tribal and it kind of goes delves into this idea the idea that american culture uh especially colonial colonialism whenever they were warring with the native americans People who were captured by the Native Americans, their tendency was always to want to be with those tribes, even after they were, quote unquote, captured back and taken back to, quote unquote, civilized society. Because the tribal life and the way that the Native Americans lived was so helpful and was so inclusive and everyone in the tribe had a purpose and a meaning and, you know, everyone helped each other and it, it was just such a, such a, a visceral representation of com- of community sure. that people didn't get, especially in the colonial or quote unquote civilized world. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think that people were necessarily, you know, going to climb up somebody else's back to get to some sort of weird hierarchy, you know, of things. Right. I mean, you know, right. there's always going to be strife here and there, but of course, like you said, everybody really did have a. You know, they had a purpose. They had their jobs. They worked together. Every, but everything was also very monitored. So not only that, you know, the, the potential for violence was so much higher too. You know, in a tribe. Yeah. Well, it was violence, violence, you know, because tribe, there were tribes that were, that were very warring with other tribes and, and, you know, their way of life. Even in that though, um, you know, they would capture people from other tribes. And they would marry into the tribes, and sometimes they would just trade people. Yeah, which sounds really horrible, but there was no, you know, incest is a thing. Yeah. So if you can't marry outside of that tribe, eventually you're going to be related to everybody. So you do have to have fresh blood coming. Yeah, absolutely. Which it, I mean, it makes sense. Not, absolutely. Not not only from it, it makes sense from an anthrop- anthropological perspective too, and it's I think it's interesting that they. 
I, interesting and a testament to uh, the quote uh, goodness of those uh, of that way of life that they chose to go that route in some in, in some instances. Yeah, I don't know if it would be goodness, but it was wise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was wise. wise. I mean, they really didn't, you know, suffer from diseases of the colonial people. Yeah, not until they brought them over. Well, yeah, till the that's yeah, till they showed up. But you know, but. But, but I think I I think I think we studying the Native American tribes is very fascinating. It really is. But it, rounding it back to our shiny beads. Yes. <laughs> and we will talk more about that when we come back. Hi, my name is Kaylin and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. I'm still Aram. And I'm still Mom. And we are still talking about radium. Radium antiques. Radium painted antiques. They're really, really cool. And we are also still supported by Hip and Humble Antiques LLC. If you're not following us on Instagram, why? Please do. Uh, hipin.humble. Follow us on Instagram at hipin.humble. That's H-I-P-N dot humble. Also, if you like what we do, please consider leaving us a tip on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash hip and humble. That's patreon.com slash hip and humble. Also, we are supported by the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. Please check out all the other creators on this network. It is a fantastic resource and a fantastic network, and we are glad to be a part of it. All right, so we had rounded, we had gone from radium back to the Native Americans, and we were talking yeah, about so, the, the shiny beads. Yep. So we're gonna we're gonna circle. We're gonna back. circle back, and I want to talk about the discovery of radium. So we touched on the date, which the uh, radium was discovered in 1898, specifically December 21st, 1898, by Marie Curie and her husband Pierre Curie. So radium was actually a byproduct that they found in in a year. Uh, uraninite sample, which is a type of mineral that they use to get uranium out of it. Um, the process by which they got it is very uh, scientific and technical. And um, if you were looking for a really good summary of how that is done, check out Wikipedia. It laid it out in very clear layman's terms. However, I'm not going to relay all of the chemical jargon for you. Nope. <laughs> but they found the radium by accident. When they were removing the uranium from the original sample, um, they found that it was still radioactive, which they thought that it wouldn't because they, they assumed that uranium was the only radioactive material within the sample. But from the radioactive compound left over, radium itself was discovered, which I thought was interesting. It is. Mm-hmm. That is. Yeah. And... Like we like we had mentioned uh, before the break, uranium is the most radioactive, naturally occurring uh, element. Huh. Yeah, did not, it's been a long time since I've been in chemistry. Me too. Not as long as you though. Nope. <laughs> no, it hasn't. 
Brady, I, I got a C in chemistry though. Although I really loved my chemistry teacher. He right. was, su- he was such a nice guy. He was an, uh, he, he, writ- he wrote a book while we were in school and I, I auditioned to be one of the voices for one of the characters in his book. Didn't get it, but he was a really, really cool guy. He, he was a agro, he was an agro farmer, an aquatic farmer in Fiji for a while. And he was, um, a resident scientist on one of the fishing boats in up in Alaska, the, you know, the, yeah. the, the deadliest catch. He was on one of those boats for a while. And even as the resident fisherman, you still get, or not fisherman, resident scientist, you still get like a cut of whatever that boat makes. So he said, yeah, he did that for, he did that for nine months. So he went out three months, stayed three months, went on, so on and so forth. And when he came back the second time, he said, yeah, I was like, you know, 26 and had, a boatload of just straight cash because you know because <laughs> that they I mean that's a year salary right then sure sure you know and so I said you know what I'm gonna go to Fiji and surf and then he did he went down to Fiji and he met his wife who was my wife was from Trinidad and Tobago I mean the guy just had a crazy cool life I always really liked him uh, really did not like chemistry well my chemistry teacher from Mustang High School her name was Mrs Ham that's quite a name and I got an A well good for you the end. <laughs> I got a C, so. I got an A. Yeah. But, so radiant production was, uh, was interesting though. As the original sample came from a science, uh, excavation for uranium sample, the material was not an easy one to get. So really? You, yeah. Uranium didn't actually have a lar- any large scale applications until late in the 19th century. So there weren't large uranium mines by which to extract the radium byproduct. Silver mines, however, were discovered to have radium as a byproduct and in what is now the Czech Republic, which coincidentally is also where um, Marie Curie discovered radium. And so they had quite a few of those. And in 1904, the Austrian government nationalized the mines in an effort to monopolize the distribution of radium because obviously everyone in the world figured out, ooh, shiny substance, Gotta have it. Well, and also, what else can we do with it? Right, right. So, after this move, the rest of the world started searching desperately for raw ore in their own mines, and by the early 1910s, the U.S. took over as leading producer. <laughs> Which, it's funny because the majority of the products that we talked about that ended up, have ended up being mass produced in either China or the U.S. Yeah. You know, obviously, like when we talked about nutcrackers, it was only after they were introduced to the U.S. via the war that they began being mass produced. Right. And, you know, by by the US and then eventually China. So I think it's interesting that a lot of the a lot of the industry that, you know, regardless of where it was discovered in the world, the people that took it and produced it in mass have always been either the US or China. So you're saying we stole a lot of stuff. Yeah, or or we capitalized on a lot of things. Yeah, we capital. Yeah. That's that's another way to say it. That's true. Yeah. But moving on to modern times, radium is is still extracted extracted now from radium, or excuse me, uranium, and it's generally used for research, you know, like scientific research and things like that. There's not a lot of demand for radium in the commercial world anymore, so it's Probably not, not. No, so it's not it's not commonly mined. 
or mind specifically mined for right. as much. Right. I mean, it, it is, but not in the quantities that it was in right. the, in the early 20th century. So now to the reason that it is such a colorful history. Okay. So there was actually a movie that was made on this and the movie was called radium girls. So when the use of the radium paint on dials and watches, what is, was at its all time high in the early 20th century, female factory workers at three, different locations working for the U.S. Radium Company were encouraged to lick their brushes to give them a fine point. That's not good. No. You don't lick a brush, period. No. First of all, you put it in water. Second, this gross incompetency ensured that the most radioactive naturally occurring element in the world was Ugh. ingested by thousands of female, of primarily female factory workers. That, that's just... Because obviously back at that, at that time, you know, go, they were going into World War One. So all the men were at war. So all the people that were working in the factories back then were women. And in the mid 1920s, uh, a lawsuit was filed against the company by five of these dying women who had been instructed to lick their brushes. Because obviously whenever you ingest Radium, the body treats it like calcium and it stores it in the bones, which very quickly causes bone cancer and or death from radiation, radiation poisoning. During the litigation, it was discovered that considerable precautions were taken to protect the company scientists and management from radium while absolutely no consideration had been given to the factory workers themselves. To put an exclamation point on just how degrading the company was, the, their claim during the trial was the women weren't suffering from radiation poisoning, but syphilis instead. Really? Yes. So they were basically blaming these women, saying that these women were promiscuous, and that's why they were dying instead of <laughs> instead of oh well, we told them to lick the brushes and paint paint radioactive material on these so we'll just, dials. We'll, we'll just blame the victim. Exactly. That, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So this dark deed has had lasting effects and some are still feeling the pain of this malice today. There are still women. I mean, obviously it was thousands of women that were working in these factories at the beginning, uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. So there's still women today who are working in those factories alive, many of them in pain and serious, you know, serious physical pain from different bone cancers and the like because of how much of this radioactive substance that they were probably not alive now well probably not i mean if they're if they had bone cancer whatnot that is not a disease that it, you're gonna go quicker yeah well i think i think the article that I, or the article that i i read talked about one of the women dying in the early thou- 2000s oh really so so there were there were some that it took a long time, time. Yeah. for it to manifest manifest exactly yeah but you know, this lawsuit actually served as a beacon into the complete disregard for employee welfare. Yeah. You know, it, companies back then and even some companies now today, especially those that have, those overseas that exploit workers for a benefit, you know, they, they still, that's still, that's still a huge problem is these huge, sure. these huge companies, they can afford to do so much because they don't pay their workers, you know. No, they don't pay their workers, but I think it's, it's also a mindset, which a lot of companies have, um, you know, they hire a worker to do a job. Right. And you do the job. Right. You don't do the job, you're done. Right. And it's kind of 
cutthroat that way. Well, in in that vein, I completely understand. But to because from I mean, from you're not a, looked at, but the the employees not looked as looked at as a person; they're looked at as a commodity. Yes. So. I agree. Whether you have well, safe that's, conditions or that's not, the, that's or the problem. That's the problem with corporatization, though, too. You know, well, that's all of them. You sure. know, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, whenever a company yeah. becomes that big, that's what happens to the lowest level. Well, that's it's not even just companies and militaries that way. Yeah, uh, government. Yeah, you know. Well, the government, your, the government's a company. That's well, real. it is. But I mean, lobbyists and whatnot. When they're no longer relevant, they're done. Yeah. I mean, it's just that's just. Uh, I mean, people think of it that way. Well, the, I, a lot of that, a lot of that too is, is a sign of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say a sign of progress, but I think it's kind of, yeah. it's, it's maybe an unfortunate side effect of progress. Yeah. I mean, the reason why you hear every once in a while these heartfelt stories about it, about an employer that, you know, really takes an interest in their, in the employee's life or that TV show where they like undercover boss, un- undercover boss. I'm like, Oh my goodness, these are real humans. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that makes, that makes the news or that makes a good TV show because it's not, it doesn't happen very often. Well, it's th- not that, common. Absolutely. You know, I, I was look, I had watched that show undercover boss and watched clips of it on YouTube many times. And, what was always interesting to me is just how shocked and how disconnected these corporate, oh, um, yeah. you know, these corporate leaders were from the, their lowest level, which to me, you know, working in a large, a large corporate company and working for the government, I completely see, you know, there's, yeah. I've been the lowest man on the totem pole <laughs> many times and, and you're not a person, you know, I've also worked in the food industry and, and that's even true from the general public to people who are working for them on a daily basis. Those of you that go into restaurants and you, you tip 50 cents on a $50 tab or you don't tip at all or anything like that, you are the worst people that exist. <laughs> you just are. But, you know, and whenever I was in that industry, I, I really did see that you're not a person to, to other people who are going right. about their day. They, you know, you're serving them. They don't see you as a human. No. Even, even though you are literally a human standing in front of them, doing your best to serve them what they are asking, you are not a person to them. They don't, they couldn't care any less about you. And it yeah. doesn't, you know, their, their, their money they're they're not going to give you money for the service you provide if 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 at all costs if they can help it at all. Well, yeah. You know. On the other hand, I will say as devil's advocate, on the other hand, you're doing your job. You're right. You know, and why do I need to know your life story? <laughs> no, that's and and that's exactly right. And that's why I said earlier, you I know, I can understand. They can be friendly though. People yeah. can be polite and friendly. You may not want to have a deep conversation with your waiter or whatever. No. But you can be nice. Yeah, there's no reason. There's no reason to be educate your server on how they should do their job. Right. You know, it's not a help to you, and it's not a help to them. It's not a help to the restaurant. You're just being a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but no, that's why I said it earlier. I do agree that, and I can see from from a business perspective. You know, if you're hired to do a job, you do the job. If you don't do the job, you leave the company, or the company company gets rid of you that's yeah. that's the thing you are you are hired to do a job and if you don't do your job you get fired yeah 
You know, it's that, that's, yep. that's as simple as that. But the, the thing is, and the thing is, is people who want to work, they want to earn what money that they get, they will work. And the people that don't, they're, yeah. you know, you're not going to keep a job. Right. Right. Well, you know, hopefully the way it should work is that, you know, the more effort you put into your job, the more reward that you'll eventually get. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the, goal. the goal. That's the goal. And that's the model of capitalism. Well, and of course, just like anything, you've always got those little bad seeds and. Well, absolutely. And, and a lot of it, a lot of it too is, you know, the system that the U.S. has currently is not capitalism. It's venture capitalism. It's, it's run, it's run by corporate, corporations and lobbyists. And this corporation and lobbyists are, are vying for regulations that continue to port, to benefit corporations and, Disadvantage small businesses. I th- I always thought it was. I saw I don't know meme or whatever. Mm. However long ago, I said you know I wish all the politicians would be like the NASA race car drivers, where they have to wear like jackets. Oh NASCAR. NASCAR race car drivers, where they have to wear jackets or jumpsuits with all the uh, businesses that, that they represent. Them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was good. I saw that. Oh, that was a while ago. It's like you know. Well, I think. Still relevant. Still relevant. Transparency. Let oh, absolutely. See. Yeah, if they could just wear wear the uh, the fire suits like the NASCAR yeah, drivers. They just have all the different corporations that they that know, they represent. That they represent. Whose or, money they get? Yeah, I always I always find it interesting. Uh, you know, we're getting a little political here, but this is this particular case. It's in relation to radium, and you know what it did to progress society as a whole was a political. You know, was a political issue because if you're talking about how a company treats its employee, how a company as large as the American radiation, radium, radium company was treats its employees, you're talking about a significant portion of the people in the U.S. Sure. You sure. know, and you're talking about their quality of life, their I think living. There, you know, this is just one example, I think, of many. It is. Um, you know, of, of ways that businesses came about and then like, tragedies that happen because of their practices or whatnot. And we've learned from that. Right. Well, this, so, this, this particular case highlighted harm served to influence the, the, this particular case's harm served to influence, influence the formulation of the occupational disease labor law. Oh, that's a mouthful. Yes. Yeah. So the re this, because of this lawsuit reform happened, which allowed which gave workers in large companies the right to be treated fairly and to be treated with their health in mind. Right. You know, because prior to this, there wasn't, there wasn't incentive to treat your workers better uh, except for to retain workers. But at that point that, you know, they didn't care about retaining their workers. Right. And that, that's, that's the problem is whenever you get people in power who don't care about other people, that's what happens. Right. And I mean, that's, that's why we have the world we have today is because of the, the majority of our government doesn't care about people. Well, I think that the people in charge let them get away with it. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, at Carnegie mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of those JP Morgan, big time names. You know, they, they, their companies were pretty brutal. Their companies were insanely brutal. And what is it? Uh, John D. Rockefeller, some of the, some of the stuff that he put his, 
his employees through, you know, the condition, the conditions that his employees worked in were some of the worst in recorded history. Yeah. And that's kind of where the birthplace of unions and whatnot kind of rose up out of. Absolutely. You know, to, I mean, if you look at, you know, obviously unions are a huge political thing. Now. Yes. Well, and, and the thing is, is unions served their purpose back then. They did. They served a great purpose. They back certainly then. did. Absolutely. But at, at this point. At this point, I, you know, and I, I'm not in a union, so I can't really speak too much to no. it, except just looking at, at unions like, um, I don't know, maybe the teachers union or whatnot, where they're highly encouraged to vote a certain way. You are forced to pay dues. Right. You know, well, and you that don't pay the dues. And that, that was also, that was also the critique of the unions and, uh, and what, and, and the other side back then, you know, so I read recently The Jungle by, uh, by Sinclair, Upton, Upton Sinclair, and it's, it's propaganda for socialism, but it, it makes a compelling argument, uh, because of the way, the state of capitalism at that time. You know, at that time, especially in Chicago, the, there was the Packers and then the Union, and the Packers spent the majority of their tra- time trying to dissuade and discourage the union from becoming from formulating so that the work so that they can continue to pay their workers the low the lowest possible wage and continue to capitalize on how much money they were making you know but it, i think you know in today's day and age and stuff companies are not going to get away with that well that's what i'm saying and, I mean, and yeah. it's not just no, I completely due, agree. it's not going to be due to a union or whatever i mean there's just laws period because of the work that those unions put in right that that are in place to protect workers, right? And and another I mean, thing, another thing is, is there's so many people nowadays, uh, you know, every, and and there's so many people are qualified to do a lot more things that you you have options when you go into a working a working space, and and sure. people are not choosing jobs based on the you know people are choosing are being a lot have a lot more options when it comes to job choices at this point and so to stay competitive as an, as a hiring company you're going to have to offer your employees better better benefits and compensation and so on better working conditions exactly you're have more vacation days mm-hmm. compensation sick days all that kind of stuff oh, all yeah. the stuff all the stuff that the unions have fought for for years yeah but we went off on that. That was a good topic, but we are out of time. Again? Yep. Well. I know. Oh, well. But, yeah, guys, if you want to, go ahead and check out that movie, Radium Girls. It's a, it's a really interesting movie, and it highlights a, a very important piece of history that has progressed the way – that has progressed, really, American society and the way that corporations have to – are obligated to, you know – make the working conditions for Safe. their work safer for their workers. And yeah. I think that's, that's a really important thing. Yeah, I so, do too. And also definitely check out the radium antiques and collectibles. They are really, really neat. Very, very interesting. And, and it's really, it's really don't eat on them. Though. Don't eat on them, but they're really a part of history. And I think that's, that's such a cool thing to have. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. before I uh, starve, <laughs> I'll starve, let you, you ate a, Sandwich a minute ago, Chick Fil A. Yeah, but I'm I'm hankering for a cookie. I got pizza upstairs. Oh, that works too. I've been stripping furniture all day, folks. Mm-hmm. So, so she's probably <laughs> hankering some, for some food now too. Hanker for that and some fresh airs because my working conditions aren't always great. So. Yeah, that is, uh, and that's 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 subject to, to you. You've done that to yourself in a, in a bit. But anyways, stay hip and humble. All right, bye now. Bye.